So I want to invite you to open your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus and chapter 33. This is a great chapter. The whole chapter is great. In fact, this is a really intense time in the whole of the Exodus narrative. 32, 33, 34 are all fantastic. But we're going to start with 33 and go from verse 7. It says this. It says, It was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. Everyone who wanted to make request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand at the entrances to their own tents. They would all watch as Moses disappeared inside. And as he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover over its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And when the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp. But the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. So here we've got this tent of meeting. This place where Moses could go whenever he liked and talk face to face with God. This was totally new. This was the first time, really since Adam and before the fall... That someone had been able to walk with God in this kind of intimate way. Before this point, people were reliant upon God showing up out of the blue and giving them encounters. I don't think Abraham had this same kind of experience of God. When you read uh, stories of Noah and of Abraham, it's God showing up out of the blue, getting their attention and then speaking to them. So if you think with with Abraham, when those three strangers turn up at his house and Abraham understands that these people represent God. And so he quickly makes them a meal and makes them feel comfortable and listens to them and negotiates with them. And they give him a prophetic word that within a year he's going to have a son, remember? Representing God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three strangers. Abraham was reliant on moments like that for God to just show up to him and speak to him, to call him outside and to look at the stars or to call him to go up the mountain with Isaac. He didn't necessarily have this place where whenever Abraham liked, he could go out and sit and have an audience with God. But Moses, by this point, with this tent of meeting, he's enjoying a kind of friendship with God where whenever Moses wants to go and find God, Moses knows exactly where to go. He will go, and at Moses' initiation, God shows up. That is completely new in human history at this point. So Moses had this prayer room. Hold that thought, because we're going to come back and we're going to unpack exactly what's going on with this tent of meeting. But there is a journey, just like there was with Abraham, where he had to go through this journey to become this trusting man. Moses had to go through a journey to become this man who could enjoy this kind of friendship with God. And when you think about it, Moses, in his earliest days, was so protected by God when he was a baby. 
God was there. God befriended Moses even before Moses knew how to speak. So God was faithful to him and saved him from the hand of Pharaoh and saved him from the river. Uh, and he grew up in Pharaoh's palace. And there was an incredible sense of God's protection from a distance. So Moses didn't really know God at this point, but God's hand was on his life. And then through the palace years, uh, living with uh, Pharaoh's daughter, I don't know how much friendship he knew with God, or whether God was kind of like a patient bystander, watching this young man form and become who he was, and being immersed in Egyptian culture. And I think sometimes our lives are like that. If we look back over our own lives, we can see that God had his hand on us even before we knew him well. God has protected me. I can see at different points in my life when I didn't even acknowledge his existence particularly, but I know that God has protected me at different times. And there's been whole chunks of my life earlier on where I lived kind of aware of, roughly aware of his existence, but not particularly responding to him. And yet I kind of survived at that point in my life And God seemed incredibly patient just to let me tick along until a later date. And then Moses met God at the burning bush. And all of a sudden we've got this powerful encounter where God redirects his life into a completely new vocation and a new way. And God meets with him in a supernatural way. And some of us have known different times like that in our lives where God has sort of broken in out of the blue and somehow got our attention And turned our lives upside down. And all of a sudden, we've entered into a relationship with God that wasn't there before. So true of many of us. Some of us, it's been more of a kind of slow route into that conversation with God and developing a a friendship with God. But what you find striking with Moses is right from that very first moment with the burning bush, Moses has a tremendous sense of freedom with God in the way that they speak. So Moses is very frank with God. And, uh, and God is very frank with Moses. Moses, even on that first encounter with God, begins to negotiate with the Lord of hosts, with the creator of the universe. He, he begins to say, well, I think you might have got the wrong person. Maybe you should send someone else. And what do I do with this? And how, hang on a minute, you can't send me if I don't know your name. And he, he just starts talking as we would with one another. He instinctively understands that that's okay in God's presence, even if God gets a bit upset with him at one point. And I love that. I love the fact that that is how their relationship began. They learn, it begins, this deeper friendship begins with a listening and a sharing of hearts and a being honest and responding to one another, even changing one another's minds. God changed Moses' mind at the burning bush, where he didn't want to go, and in the end he went. And in some ways, Moses changed God's mind as well, because God didn't particularly want to use Aaron, I don't think. But because uh, Moses was so unhappy to speak on his own, he says, fine, okay, I'll send your brother-in-law with you. Uh, And there's this kind of uh, a working out of what is going to happen between God and Moses. Do you ever argue with God? Do you ever find yourself just speaking your mind to God? Some of us instinctively know that's okay and that God can just about manage it. (laughs) Uh, Others of us, maybe if you come from a a, a more kind of controlled background or if you come from 
uh, a more religious background where that would never be done. And God is, is seen much more as, a, as one to be feared. Sometimes it's, it can be very hard to find those words and to make complaint if something's going wrong. And that can be a real journey for some people to realize that it's okay to talk on that level. So maybe if you've had a very authoritarian father or something like that, sometimes there's a reason why we find it hard to just come and say what we want to say. But Moses, right from the outset, uh, needs to be able to talk openly. And then from this first encounter of friendship between God and Moses at the burning bush, God then takes Moses through a series of huge events, massive experiences, some of them glorious, like standing in front of the Red Sea and watching the waves part, that must have been a good moment. And then to be a, the, the experience of walking through on dry land. And I love the way the movies portray this bit, whether it's with kind of walls of water with whales swimming behind it, or whether it's kind of big winds and like there's no water to be seen for miles away. And it's just kind of a, a kind of empty lake bottom. I don't know how it was, but it would have still been pretty incredible, I think. Um, he had experiences like that of triumph. But then God also led him through experiences of with all these people that he has built relationship with and they're all following him and he literally he's not far out of the Red Sea he's only just got his feet dry and they start complaining about the quality of the food and drink and you think what more do I need to do for you people <laughs> he must have just thought goodness you, you've seen all that and yet you can't trust him to feed you and so he has the pain of, of them blaming him for that He's like, he's trying to stand there between God and the people. And they say, Moses, why did you do that to us? That's hard to take that on the chin. But Moses is so faithful. He, he's in this position where he's way out of his depth. He's got this multitude of people whom God describes as a stiff-necked and rebellious people. He's got the job of trying to look after them through 40 years of desert life. It's not really a job description most of us would look at, is it? <laughs> Moses is so faithful. And then, just when you think Moses' life can't get any harder, he has this moment of, like, total disappointment where everything he's become and everything he's worked for is just destroyed in one horrible episode. So Moses goes up the mountain on behalf of the people to seek God's will, to seek God's heart, to come down with instruction on how the people should live peaceably with each other. So he's going up the mountain on their behalf for a few weeks, spends time with God, comes down with the stone tablets. And when he comes down, he sees these people who have been rescued by this loving God out of Egypt through all the plagues, through all the miracles, fed them in the desert, they're on their way to the promised land, and what does he see? He sees them half naked, dancing pagan dances before a lump of metal that they've thrown into the fire that's come out that looks a bit like a calf, so let's worship that. And there they are. They've abandoned Yahweh and all that he's revealed himself to be. And they've called this lump of metal Yahweh, and they're saying, behold, this lump of metal where we threw all our earrings into the fire and it came out looking a bit like a calf. Behold, this is what has saved us. 
And they have a massive pagan party. Moses must have come down and just thought, I've been away a few weeks. What? What are you doing? This isn't just a minor setback on the road. This isn't just a little hiccup in who they are as the people of God. This is the end of the road. This is kind of them saying, this is who we are. You turn your back for a moment and this is what happens. The moment that nobody's looking, this is what they do. At this point, Moses watching his life work, everything that he's worked for, everything that he's sacrificed for, it seems a complete waste of time. Everything is just in pieces around his feet. Have you ever had disappointments in your life like that? It seemed that everything was going so well. It seemed that everything was building towards something beautiful. You had hopes. You had dreams. Things seemed to be slotting into place. You've made progress. You feel successful. And then all of a sudden, something happens in your life and the rug gets pulled out and you find your life in pieces around your feet. Have you ever had times like that? Maybe it was a failed marriage or a significant relationship, one that was really important to you. Maybe it was your parents' marriage that failed. Or maybe it was one of your children's marriages. Perhaps it was a painful redundancy where you thought you were going to rise within the company and actually what happens, they let you go. Maybe it was a failed business that was your baby your heart and soul, and you put everything into it and it didn't work out. Maybe it was a bitter church split where everybody that you thought was faithful turned out not to be quite so much as you thought. Maybe it was a fallout with a church leader. Maybe it was a breakdown in the family. Or a crushing health diagnosis. Just trying to connect with where people have been. Because we've all experienced something along these lines. And if you haven't, I'm glad. But I don't think many of us reach our full years without walking through one of these things or something like it. Could be a number of things. These life traumas are so hard. And you need to know where to go when they come. Moses needed to know where to go when it came for him. And this Bible story offers us some real wisdom here. So in the middle of all the discomfort of the desert, all this overwhelming responsibility, this crushing pressure, and then this bitter disappointment, Moses retreats from the camp to this place called the Tent of Meeting. And you know, some commentators suggest that this Tent of Meeting bit is like a later insertion. It's like a break in the flow of the narrative of Exodus. It kind of makes, in some ways, literary, literarily, it makes no sense to be there. But I think it makes absolute sense to be exactly where it is. I think this is the most important place to plant this tent of meeting, little bit of the story, right between crushing disappointment and the promised land. The difference between that place of crushing disappointment 
and the promised land is a tent of meeting. I want you to hear that. At this point in his life, he needs friendship with God. Those days of coasting along without regular connection with God have well and truly passed. At this point in his life, he doesn't even need a God who will turn up out of the blue like a burning bush moment. Or will just meet him from time to time, often. Will initiate the meeting. He needs to go and find God on a daily basis and offload. He needs to know exactly where he's going to go. And the moment he needs to find God, he needs to know that God's going to meet with him. He needs to draw strength and wisdom and perspective and fresh grace for these people that he's serving. He needs this tent of meeting. It's not an option for him at this point in his life. But the cool thing is, the thing that I want to kind of focus on most in this message is that God meets with him every time. Every time Moses needs to meet with God. If, if you just hear about the sense of continuity that is in this passage. So it was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up. It was Moses' practice. That was what he did. That was his lifestyle. Everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand at the entrances to their own tents. They would all watch Moses. Later on, the pillar of cloud would come down. They would stand and bow down in front of their tents. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face. Afterwards, Moses would return to the camp, but Joshua, son of Nun, would remain. This is something that's happening all the time. This is part of the, the practice. This wasn't just a one-off event. This was something that was happening continuously. So here's my point. There are seasons in your life when you can get away with knowing God's hand on your life and not knowing a deep friendship with God. It's not ideal, but you can survive. There are times in your life when you can get away with just the odd encounter where God breaks in from the outside, gets your attention, and meets with you in some way. Those times are wonderful. But there are also times in your life where you need to know exactly where to go to meet with God. And to go and meet with God as often and as... uh, as intentionally as possible. You need something that resembles a tent of meeting when your responsibility has heaped up or you're feeling overwhelmed or you hit a major failure or disappointment or what God has called you to is bigger than what you are. You need a tent of meeting. Something that resembles a tent of meeting. Now, what could that look like? Well, it's some place that you can set up in your life where you can go with the expressed desire to meet with the Lord. And I want you to take courage from Moses because how often does God show up when Moses goes to meet with God? Every time. Every time. Sometimes people come to me And this is the issue. It's been ages since I've had an encounter with God. 
And we've all been through those dry times, right? Those times where it's really hard to see where God is in all of this. Where we're reaching out in some way to God and it feels like God is distant or I'm just not getting the answers that I need right now. Uh, or I'm not feeling his comfort or his presence. And that is a normal part of Christian life. That, that we all go through seasons like that. But I want to say to you that those are seasons. They are not the lifestyle of a Christian. That is not what you are called to live for huge chunks of your life. I heard someone speak on Psalm 23 recently. And uh, they were saying, which I really liked, they were saying, in Psalm 23, which is, the Lord is our shepherd, I shall not want, for those of you who are not familiar which one that is. It talks about a good shepherd, and he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. That's a kind of stopping posture. That's kind of where you live. That's where he leads us. That's where he wants us to stay. That's where he wants us to kind of make our home. Still waters, green pastures. But it says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because he's with me. So he doesn't necessarily lead us through the valley of the shadow of death, but I walk through there anyway. And God is willing to go with us. When we go through those times which feel like a valley of the shadow of death, those bleak times where you, you're reaching out to God and you're feeling at the end of yourself. Notice it says, I walk through. It doesn't say, I lie down in the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say he leads me into the valley of the shadow of death and abandons me there and goes somewhere else. And I just live the rest of my life in the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say that. It says, he leads me through. Though I walk through, I come out the other side of the valley of the shadow of death. Those things happen, but we're not supposed to live there. God loves to enter into encounters with us. And he does graciously respond when we seek him. The Bible says, if you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Jesus said, ask and you will. Seek and you will. Knock and. Yeah, there's no ambiguity there. God wants you to be someone who is able to find him, who is able to receive from him, who is able to walk through open doors into his presence. So, Jesus has been to Helen back to make sure you have access to God. He's not going to take that away on a whim. In this story, we see every time Moses heads towards the, the meeting place, God follows him there. It's like God in his kindness has chosen to make every time a special encounter. The moment Moses starts walking from the camp, the cloud begins to move. I love that picture. That God's eyes are on Moses. As soon as Moses makes a start out of that camp, the, the cloud starts moving and the two of them finally meet at the tent of meeting. I believe that is what God is like when he looks at you. When he sees that you are beginning to make a move towards a place of meeting with God, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's coming to church, whether it's going to mission community, whether it's going to the Alpha Away Day, whether it's going to uh, a summer camp or conference, whatever it is, or whether it's going to your secret place, which I want to encourage you to find at the end of this message, I believe that as soon as you start heading there, God is already moving to meet you there because he's more excited to meet you there than you are. 
that's true. So, I also want to say that the more you meet with God, the more you want to meet. It's addictive. So Joshua, who was Moses' right-hand man, he used to go out with Moses to the tent of meeting. And then when Moses has said all he needs to say and heard all he needs to hear and they've spent time together, Moses heads back to the camp to um, continue to serve the people. And Joshua stays on. It says Joshua, son of Nun, remained in the tent of meeting. He just couldn't get enough of God's presence. And I love that. So, let's just be clear about this tent so we can apply it to ourselves properly. Firstly, the tent of meeting was separate from the tabernacle. Okay, so the tabernacle is like a, a, a very carefully made tent with very careful dimensions, pitched to house the Ark of the Covenant. So it was the formal place of worship. It was an organized place. It was a place where the, all of the Israelites would gather to worship God as well. This is different. If you like, church is a bit like the tabernacle, where this isn't, believe it or not, it is quite organized. <laughs> but we try and organize ourselves here to worship God. And uh, it, it's, there's a form to it, where we meet each week and we do certain things in order to enter God's presence and to preach the word and to break bread together and things like that. So this is a kind of organized place of worship where we gather. Well, that's kind of a bit different from the tent of meeting, isn't it? This is something else. Where is it positioned? It's positioned outside the camp. I think this is incredibly important. There's no way that Moses was going to be able to have a friendship with God and to have encounter with God while he was in the middle of that camp. He would have been hugely distracted by everything that was going on around him. He would have felt the responsibility. He would have felt the eyes of the people on him. He would have felt that they were shouting loud with their needs all around him. And it was just impossible to escape the pressure inside the camp. So he pitched the tent of meeting outside the camp. Well, what could that mean for us? I want to say to you that when you meet with God, if you want to be intentional about deepening your friendship with God and going for encounters with God, you need to find places that are outside of your normal place of busyness and where your responsibilities are. When I want to meet with God, I don't usually come to this building, believe it or not. I want to encourage you to get outside of your camp, whatever that looks like, to meet with God. Sometimes it's not easy to meet with God in the middle of all your daily distractions. Something about intentionally going outside of your distracted place means that you can have unbroken focus on God. You know why you're there, for one reason, to be with God. I'm not saying you shouldn't be able to meet God in the humdrum of everyday life, because you should. And we need to be able to meet God there in the, the normal fabric of everyday life, and we can. But there's something about quality time with God that you sometimes need to go outside of the camp to find. But it is convenient. It's not like the mountain. When Moses goes up the mountain, it takes effort. Firstly, there's a, they have to organize the people for whether they're allowed to come up or not, and all the rest of it. And then he goes up the mountain. He's got to climb to the top of this jolly great big mountain to meet with God. And then he's up there for days. And then he comes back down. That's, that's quite a big deal. That's like, that's like Matt's 
uh, Camino. Or that's like organising our family to get all the way to a summer camp and with all our camping gear and everything like that. That takes some planning, that takes some doing. This is different. The tent of meeting is convenient. It's pitched outside the camp, but only a little way outside the camp, and it's easy to get to. So it's there whenever he wants to go, and it's easy to get to that place. And it's pitched by Moses. So God hasn't supernaturally, ah, the tents come down from heaven and just landed somewhere with a big arrow over it saying, Moses, come here. Moses has just gone out and pitched his tent. He chooses how big the tent is. He's chosen where to pitch it. Whenever the Israelites stop, he'll just try and find a you know, bit around the corner, a bit down there, and he'll go and pitch his tent of meeting. And he chooses where that is. It's initiated by him. I, I draw from that that actually it's wherever... We, we can make our tent of meeting wherever it, it needs to be, actually. But God isn't going to be particular about whether that needs to be Buckfast Abbey or uh, you know, St. Mary's Church or whether it needs to be on a particular field or whatever. It needs to be wherever it's convenient for us to go and meet with God. Wherever we find it's easy to get into his presence. But we can choose. That's pretty cool. And it's always there. Whether he's planning to go in there or not, whether uh, he's had time or whether things are going differently or he's had other commitments and he hasn't been able to get into his tent much or not, he's, he pitches it anyway. Whenever the Israelites stop, he pitches that first. Okay? It's good to have some, somewhere that's always available to go to. And not just... Because sometimes when you get a window of time and you think, I could spend this afternoon with the Lord... It's amazing how difficult it is to work out where to go. <laughs> Seriously. You might have a place that you quite like to go to, which is outside, and all of a sudden it's raining. Where else do I go now? It's really good to have these things already in place that you know that, given a little window of time, a cancelled meeting, or you find yourself you know, with a bit of dead time, you can just go, because you know exactly where it is. It's always there. And then who was allowed to use it? This tent of meeting. Let's have a look at verse 7. It was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. Everyone, everyone say everyone. Everyone. Everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. So this was not just a privilege for Moses or for some special small group of people. This was for everyone. That's interesting, isn't it? It was for everyone who just wanted to get out there and spend some time with God. That's amazing access to God at this stage in human history, I think. You read huge swathes of the Old Testament and it's like people were enormously distant from God. There was all these kind of curtains and priests and barriers and doors and even then not everyone went to the temple. Sometimes it says that the word of God. God's voice was scarce in the land. And yet here we are at this point, and there's just a wide open door for anyone to go and hang out with God and hear his voice. That's amazing. But it gets better. That part that says everyone who wanted to make a request of God. I think in the NIV it says anyone uh, who wanted to inquire of the Lord. In the NASB it says anyone who, who sought the Lord. This word to, word to seek it's bakas in the Hebrew. 
Uh, and I want to share what one of the commentators said about this, because I think it's important. If I can find it. Okay, this seeking of the Lord. This is uh, Alec, Alec uh, Motier. He says this. Uh, the idea of seeking of the Lord is never that of searching around for something that has been lost and one is not too sure where it may be, but always of a determined approach to the place where the desired object, in this case the Lord, is known to be and sure to be found. I quite like that. So the word used here, there is a sense that whoever wants to seek the Lord guaranteed to find him there. This isn't uh, going and hoping for the best and maybe I'll find him there, maybe I won't, maybe I'll need to seek somewhere else. It is a going to seek God in the place where they absolutely know he will be found and who will have an encounter with God. So they never doubted that God would be there or worried that they wouldn't be able to experience his presence or hear his voice. They assumed that they would find him whenever they went to the tent. So let's just pause and encourage ourselves with what this reveals so far. The tent of meeting represents that invitation to all of us to get away from our responsibilities and distractions, to be able to spend glorious time with God, enjoying his presence. He promises to show up even if it's on our initiative and our choice of place. He invites us to establish a place of meeting that is easy to get to and to go as often as possible. And we can absolutely expect to find him there. We don't have to search around. So the only question for me is, why don't we? Why don't we? Sometimes we do, but sometimes we don't. We don't all frequent that seeking place as often as we'd like to think we do, do we? Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we hang back. Why don't we go? If this is the access that the Israelites had, and what we have is greater, and we know that we have access to God in in an extraordinary way, with the Holy Spirit living within us, and with God promising to meet us whenever we seek him, why don't we go? I think some of us are still worried that God won't show up. A bit like one of those really painful bits on first dates. Anyone watch first dates? Come on, fess up. I'll put my hand up here. I've seen a few of those. I find it really interesting, just the the dynamics between the people. Uh, I saw one once where uh, their date just didn't show up. And they had to manage that awkwardly on camera, just being stood up for a date. really quite sad. I think some of us feel that it's going to be that way with God. That we'll go to meet with God somewhere and we'll just come out of there disappointed that he just didn't show up and didn't want to meet with us. And maybe some of us have been disappointed before for one reason or another. Maybe we lack motivation to meet with him because we're worried that it won't be as we want it to be. I think that's usually for one of three reasons in my experience. The first one is narrow expectations. We have an idea about what it will be like to meet with God. And if it's not as we have in our minds, we get disappointed and we walk away. <coughs> the amount of people that I've, uh, I've spoken to that have been to conferences or different places because they really wanted to encounter with God and they came back and said, well, I just, just didn't really meet with God there. God didn't really seem to be there. 
And as you start chatting with them and going a little bit deeper, that there's all sorts of ways that they, they have been encountering God. They'll say, yeah, I didn't really meet with God there, but you know, there was a wonderful sense of peace. You know, I enjoyed the worship and enjoyed the sense of peace. And actually, I met this really great person there. That, you know, through talking to them, I kind of realized that uh, I, I probably need to stop my job and do something else. But it's a shame I didn't meet with the Lord. And it's like, <laughs> what? What they meant was they wanted to go forward for prayer ministry and fall on the floor or something. And that didn't happen. And so I, I didn't meet with God. But actually, their view of what meeting with God was supposed to look like was too narrow. And I think it can be like that. Sometimes we have a particular idea of what it needs to be. And if it's not like that, then we throw the whole thing out. But God never meets with us the same way twice. He will always find a fresh way to meet us. And I think sometimes we, we need to deal with that. If we felt disappointed in the past, maybe just chalk it up as a, a misunderstood event and then go again with an open mind as to how God wants to meet with us. Sometimes it's, it's more to do with insignificance, as Peter was talking about last week. We just don't feel worthy. We just don't feel that God would want to meet with us. Let's leave that to the superheroes. Let's leave that to the spiritual people. God's favorites. Uh, I'm just one of the other little people that, that don't really hear God like Moses or like the prophets do. Actually, that's just another lie from the pit of hell. We are all on one level. God is just as excited to spend time with you as he is to spend time with the Pope or the Archbishop or the best prophet you know. He loves spending time with us. Sometimes it's because of sin. Sometimes because we know that there are sin patterns in our lives. And we find that those convict us so deeply, we feel shame, and then that drives us from God's presence, just like it did with Adam in the garden. And we hide from God, and that stops us from coming. And we allow the enemy to tell us that we're unacceptable in God's presence because of our sin. That happens too, because you're imperfect people. And we know up here that everybody that enters God's presence needs the grace of God whether you are the Pope or whether you are you. Uh, and everybody has sin and everybody needs the same cleansing, the same grace, the same forgiveness, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We know it. And yet sometimes our hearts take a little while to catch up. But that is never going to disqualify us from an encounter with a loving God who has already committed to dealing with the sin. On, on, it's already one-sided. It's already him going to deal with that. God's love of time with us isn't diminished by our sin and brokenness. We all need the same grace. I just want to finish by just quickly looking at what this phrase means. To speak face to face with God as man speaks with a friend. That's here in this passage. That's what Moses used to do. What does it mean to speak face to face with God as man speaks with a friend? Is that something that was specific to Moses and not for the rest of us? Well, the first thing to say there is this wasn't visual. This wasn't visual. God didn't speak with Moses face to face. Moses was not sitting there looking at God visually. Okay? It wasn't like God's presence, because somehow God manifested like a. Uh, either God showed up in, in flesh or it wasn't like a hologram that just appeared in the, in the tent. It wasn't that kind of face-to-face. -face. And we know that because just a little bit later, 
Moses say, says, can I see your glory? And he says, well, I'll pass by in front of you. He said, but you can't see my face. So he shoves him into a rock and then passes by. And he's only allowed to see his back. So we know that Moses wasn't meeting face to face in that way. So what does it mean? Well, a lot of commentators have said this was like a turn of phrase. Speaking face to face as in just speaking our hearts and minds as somebody speaks with a friend. It's, a, it's like a human interaction. He spoke with God like two people talk to each other. That's what it means. Like when you're just sitting across a table from an old friend and you're just talking about how life is. That's what it means to talk face to face to God as one speaks with a friend. There's this, uh, another great commentator, Peter Enns, who, who really brings out this human character of Moses' friendship with God. And he talks about how this is something we don't really acknowledge enough in our devotional lives as people. He said, if a poll were taken of seminary students, Bible college students, perhaps pastors as well, i.e. those with formal theological education, and if the question, was, if the question asked was, what is God like? My strong suspicion is that many of the following attributes of God would be mentioned that he's omniscient, that he's omnipotent, that he's sovereign, he's unchanging, he's eternal, creator, and so forth. We would add to the list such things as prone to change his mind, argues with people, can be frustrated, can regret past actions. Yet all of these latter attributes are just as scripturally defensible. Interesting, isn't it? That's what it means. To speak with someone as a man speaks with his friends. It means listening and not just talking. It means responding, <coughs> agreeing or disagreeing. It means being willing to adjust your thinking as the other speaks, both ways. And appealing to the other person if you think they need to change something. Moses changed God's mind several times. It means quality time with a loyal friend. This was how God was pleased to be with Moses. And yet, Moses longed for the day when the access was as open as it is for you and me. What enables us to find this, this place of meeting and to know this relationship is faith to trust God that that's what he wants. To make that choice to find God and then to discipline ourselves to make the best of it. Find your tent of meeting. I want to just briefly share, as we close, one of my favourite places to meet God. And I'm not going to tell you where it is in case you go there. <laughs> uh, I go there because you're not there. <laughs> um, but I've got this beach that I go to. Uh, and it's not too far away. I can get there within about 45 minutes. But it's, it's hard enough to get to that most people don't go. It's like one of those beaches that nine times out of ten I have the whole beach to myself. So this isn't a beach with like, you know, public toilets and a pub and everything on the beach. This is one of those that is a real scramble to get to. And it, it, I have to have a chunk of time to get there because, you know, 45 minutes there, 45 minutes back, and if I'm going to have time there, I need a chunk of time to be there. But it is as close to a tent of meeting as I have. But I can tell you that when I go, there is this feeling that begins to rise within me as I'm driving to it where I'm 
anticipation begins to grow as I'm driving there because I know that I'm about to meet with God in a special way. And I feel faith rising in my heart. And then it's a, it's a, a labor of love to get there. There's a bit of scrambling and, and uh, avoiding rock pools and things like that to get to this beach. But I can tell you, the moment I put my foot upon the sand, something in me connects with God in the most amazing way, in the most open and simple way. And it's like, ah, oh, I'm here. You're here. It's easy. Let's talk. I want to hear from you. And I have these little rituals that I do. I, I'm, normally got, I've got a backpack on because, you know, I don't want to be without tea. Uh, and I often need Bibles and books and things like that with me as well and iPads or whatever. So I've got my backpack on. And I just have this place on the beach where uh, I wasn't actually intending to share all of this, but it's quite funny. This is an insight into my crazy inner world. As I take my backpack off, it's, a, it's like a spiritual discipline of saying, God, I'm taking off my burdens and laying them down so I can be with you. And I hang them on a rock. And then there's this place where water comes out of the rock and there's a natural pool. There's like a, it looks almost like a natural font. And so there's this pool of water. Some of you are thinking, oh, I know where it is now. Um, <laughs> but, and, and you can see where all the calcium has kind of created this place on the beach. And, and I, I drink from this water from the rock. I, say, oh, I just want to drink deeply from your spirit, God. I want to come out of here feeling absolutely full of your Holy Spirit. And I drink from the pool. Uh, and I think the water's clean enough. And then uh, there's this cave up in the rocks where you've got to climb up to it. And then this quite deep, dry cave. And it's, you can't quite stand up in it, but it's only about that wide. And it goes back a fair way. And it's level on the bottom. And there's sand in the bottom of there. So even if it's raining, I can go there because it's dry. And as soon as I get in that cave, I am on my face. And it's just like I'm with the Lord. And uh, I try not to have a snooze. And... I write some of my messages there, and I always I try and head there if I'm having a prayer day. Sometimes I'll go to Buckfast Abbey or other places as well. And if I'm honest, it's once or twice a month if I can get there. But for me, that is life-changing. That is life-changing. That I can't do what I do without that place. I can't live my life with my responsibilities without going to that place and meeting with God and saying, God, what do I do? What do I do with my children? What do I do with my church? What do I do with this situation? Lord, what do you want to do? What needs to change in me? And it's become an absolute lifeline in this quite intense period of my life. And I want to just encourage you, wherever it is for you, find your place. Because God is already excited to meet you there.